Okay. Uh, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. I haven't seen you since um, whenever it was. Um, it's the first time I've given a talk for a long time, actually, because I lost, I had a hacking cough for a long time, for almost two months, so I could hardly speak. Still a little bit hoarse, um, but it's gradually getting better. <clears throat> anyway, so um, I want to talk, uh, since I became past I've been giving sermons about, um, um, what's it called? Family pledge. Family pledge, that's right, so I still got a bit of chemo brain going on. Um, so, gradually recovering. And uh, yeah, I remember when I first started hacking cough and everything, my, my kids got really worried because they thought one of my lung tumours was taking over and I was about to die, but I was quite confident that uh, I wasn't. <laughs> and because the scan showed that uh, they got smaller. And I'm hoping that quite soon they're going to get them zapped by this uh, thing called ablation, which is quite fun. <coughs> anyway, so... Um, we're giving a sermon about the, it's my fifth one, about the uh, family pledge. And so this is looking at family pledge number four. So I was going to ask you if you recognize where this phrase came from, but by serendipitous chance, family pledge number four came up here. Um, so, <clears throat> so I, as I mentioned before, just very briefly, thinking about what family pledge is. <clears throat> and uh, that's what the father said, is the family pledge is that, result of extracting from the principle all the essential contents needed to establish families. So you've got this book, The Divine Principle, The Explanation of the Principle. And so the family pledge then is like a summary of that. Incredibly dense. All these little sound bites. <coughs> and, uh, and it's made up entirely the essence of the providence of restoration. So look at the providence of restoration. It's all about the providence to restore the family. So the, the scripture, the Bible, this is the um, only scripture in the world which is most focused upon Bibles, on fam stories of families. If you read about read uh, Buddhist scriptures, it's all about meditation, everything inside there. <clears throat> but uh, the Bible is very much, it's all the stories in Genesis, they're all about families all about trying to restore the family, all the challenges that the families went through, trying to get all these four great realms of heart right, relationship between husband and wife, between brothers, which is what we mostly focus upon, but also between parents and children. So that's the whole purpose of this whole providence there in Genesis, is to establish good families. And that finally came about really with, uh, through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, able to establish the, uh, <coughs> that. And, um, oh yeah... Okay, so I don't know how to click that. And so, <clears throat> let's base your lives on it. Wherever you go, whatever you do. So that's why if you meet a Chongpa and say family pledge about, I don't know, about four times a day, I think. And, um, <clears throat> and it's very important. So, and that's why we need to understand the principle of these stories in great detail. Moving on now to look at family pledge number four. As we read, our family, the owner of Chungaguk, pledges to build the universal family, encompassing heaven and earth, which is God's idea of creation, to make the world of freedom, peace, unity, and happiness by centering on true love. <clears throat> and as Father said, it's all about true love needs to be at the center. So the phrases that are expressed most, repeated most often in the family pledge are our family, the owner of Chungaguk, and by centering on true love. They come up over and over again. Another word that comes up several times is actually freedom. 
not only in this uh, one, but also other ones as well, complete liberation. <clears throat> and so it's very important then to try and think about, well, what is freedom? <clears throat> what is freedom? <clears throat> what language is this word, freedom? <clears throat> no. It's not. What's the German for freedom? Freiheit. Freiheit. So the fry is free. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so freedom is an English word. It doesn't actually exist in any other language. <clears throat> and you might think, well, that's a bit odd. That's just me being arrogant as usual. <laughs> but actually, I'll explain to you why. So you might wonder, well, let's have a look first of all at the Bible. What's the word for freedom in the Bible? <clears throat> what word is translated in the Bible as freedom? So in the Hebrew, there's two words. One is chofshi, which just means free. And the other one's cherut, which means engraved. So, anyway, looking at the English word, though, <clears throat> it's made up of two words, free and dom. So what does the word free mean? <clears throat> what does the word free mean? Without restrictions. Yeah, without restrictions. You get anything you want, but no restrictions. Okay? What does the word dom mean? Domain. Okay, so what is the what's <coughs> right? So hmm? Lord. No, uh, there's that as well. So all these different kind of implications. In old English, what's the word dom? Add an extra O, what do you get? Doom. So have you heard <coughs> what, what's doom? <coughs> so doomsday is judgment day, isn't it? Okay, so in Old English, the word doom means law. The book of dooms, in Anglo-Saxon English, the book of dooms is the book of laws. <clears throat> so that's why doomsday is the day when the law is, when judgment is applied, when the law is applied and people are judged according to how they live their life. So that's why doomsday <clears throat> is when the law is applied and people are judged <clears throat> and they either go to heaven or hell or they go to prison or not to prison. <clears throat> <clears throat> so the word height. So you talked about Freiheit. What does the word height mean? Ism. Hmm? Ism or ness. The being. Being. Being or ism or ness. Oh, is it? Okay, yes. I didn't even know how to mean it. I thought it was yeah. just a, 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 a it, suffix. It is a suffix. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that. So do you know who the, who the person was who created this word, who coined this word? And he was a good Anglo-Saxon, in other words, a good German. And if you're a German, then if you want to say something, you can't find the word for it, what do you do? He put two, other, two words together. So he was translating the Bible <clears throat> from Hebrew into English. This was Alfred the Great in the 9th century, or maybe earlier than that. Gosh, I can't even remember now. 7th century, I think. <clears throat> anyway, he's translating the Bible into English. <clears throat> and he was struggling <clears throat> over a particular f part of the Psalms, which I'll read out later, <clears throat> and he couldn't find the word for it in English. So he thought, okay, I'm going to join these two words together, free and dom. So freedom means you're free to do anything you want within the law. You can do anything you like except break the law. So when people want freedom, it's not that they want to be able to do anything they want without restriction, it means they want to be anything, do anything they want 
with, within the law. <clears throat> and so an example of this is, is playing chess, the game of chess. The game of chess, you can move your pieces, but you can only move them within the rules of chess. Within the rules of chess, you got the fr you're free to develop any kind of strategy that you want, but you just can't move your castle diagonally, or you can't move your bishop, or you can't move your king, you know, two or three spaces. So you can come up with all kinds of strategies, all kinds of ways of playing chess. But the only thing you can't do is break the rules of chess. That's freedom. You're free within the rules, free within the law. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what the word means, freedom. And that's why you know, liberal democracy developed in, the, in this, you know, this part of the world, because that was the core value. Yeah, that's, that's the, the English contribution to the world, is this word. <coughs> and you, I'm not making this up. So this is a great, one of the, the greatest uh, English political philosopher, or one of them anyway, John Locke. <coughs> he said, freedom... Explain what freedom means. It's to have a standing rule to live by, in other words, a law, common to everyone in that society. In other words, there's one rule or one law that applies in the same way to everybody. It doesn't matter if there's a king or a peasant, nobody's allowed to commit murder, nobody's allowed to steal, and made by the legislative power erected in it. That's parliament. A liberty, in other words, liberty just means free. Yeah? A liberty to follow my own will in all things, where the rule prescribes not, and not to be subject to the inconstant, uncertain, unknown, arbitrary will of another man. So that's meaning the word freedom. Yeah. Okay, so this is about the family pledge. So, okay, so how does it work there? John Locke here is talking about political societies, and these ideas are taken up, his philosophy is taken up particularly by, um, <clears throat> in America, <clears throat> one of the main influences of the American Constitution. But it's the same within a family. <clears throat> you have to have boundaries. But children, children want to be free to do anything they want, but you need to have very, you know, very boundaries which are very clear and you know, which are applied with very clear consequences. And children actually want to have boundaries. They feel safe when they have boundaries which are very clear. <clears throat> and it's the same within a classroom. If you a classroom, oh, it's a bit extra. Is that? Thank you very much. When you're teaching in school, you need to have very clear boundaries, very clear rules. Otherwise, the class, there's no learning environment and children can't learn. So I actually feel, in a, in a school, <coughs> children feel safe when they know that there are rules. <coughs> and they feel safe when they know those rules are actually applied and enforced. <coughs> that makes sense? Because then it creates a space in which people can, are free to learn. <coughs> So that's why boundaries then are very important. <clears throat> but also, these, these words come up, freedom, peace, happiness, <clears throat> unity and happiness. So freedom then <clears throat> is really important. And so sometimes people think the law <clears throat> is something very oppressive. Oh, the law, all these rules are constricting me. But actually, this is what uh, Alfred the Great was, was struggling to translate, this particular psalm. He said, I rejoice in following your laws as one rejoices in great riches. So as the psalmist saying, he actually doesn't feel God's laws are restrictive. He actually brings in great joy to follow God's laws. When he's following God's laws, his whole life is filled with, much, with a lot of meaning. He feels through following God's laws, it's his way of worshipping God by, 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 by doing this. <clears throat> and rejoice in great riches. I shall walk at liberty 
for I sought out your laws. Now because of these laws and living according to these laws, he feels he is free. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than the honey in my mouth. Anybody ever felt that, reading Father's words or the Bible? You get this nice feeling in your mouth, or sometimes listening to lectures or something, studying the principle. Your laws are wonderful, therefore I keep them. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not followed. <clears throat> so the psalmist here, he cries, it weeps, breaks his heart, because he sees God's laws not being followed. People are getting robbed, raped and murdered. Yeah, and that's why this person is weeping and crying. <clears throat> so, there's someone called Frederick Hayek. <clears throat> he was an Austrian um, <clears throat> Nobel Prize winner for economics. And he also got the Founders Award from our true parents many years ago. <clears throat> and he used to, I think, three times he came and gave the, the plenary address at the ICUS Science Conference. <clears throat> so he's, he wrote, the possibility of people living together in peace and to their mutual advantage without having to agree on common concrete aims and bound only by abstract rules of conduct was perhaps the greatest discovery humanity ever made. So people then can only live at peace <clears throat> when they're living in a society where these rules are followed and the laws are followed. Where the laws aren't followed, it leads to conflict. Where people are, start hitting each other and beating each other up, this leads to conflict. When you have people observe the law, <clears throat> then this is a precondition for there being peace, because people aren't interfering in other people's spaces. Yeah, and, and that's not that's not leading to conflict. So he explains here <clears throat> that freedom, then, which is free within the law, is a precondition for peace. So freedom and then peace. Without freedom, there's no peace. Without the law, there is no peace. Yeah. So this is one thing leads on to, one thing leads on to another. <clears throat> and the important other thing he makes here is that people can live together in peace without, with to their mutual advantage. So everybody benefits, everybody gains, without having to agree on a common concrete aims. So they don't have a common purpose. So the, you know, the person who's a, who has a butcher shop, his purpose in life is to sell meat. And through that, and to make his customers happy, and through that, he you know, he uh, supports his family. Next door, there's a person who may be a greengrocer, whose purpose in life is to sell vegetables. So they, everybody has different purposes. Somebody's purpose in life is to do this or to do that or the other. So people have many, many different purposes, and they can pursue their many, many different purposes peacefully, without because they're all working within this framework of laws. That makes sense? There don't, there's no common purpose. When you have a common purpose, you end up with totalitarianism, fascism, communism. <clears throat> Everybody's the whole of society is mobilized towards a certain kind of goal or purpose. <clears throat> and that inevitably leads to dictatorship and, uh, yeah, let's say communism, totalitarianism. <clears throat> then, <clears throat> moving on here, so that was uh, <clears throat> true freedom. <clears throat> this is from Jeremiah. This is uh, yeah, prophesying just before the, the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem. The time is coming, declares the Lord. See, even though Jerusalem and the temple are about to be destroyed, which is what he predicted would happen, what prophesied was going to happen, at the same time he's giving people great hope that actually in the future something new and good will appear. The time is coming, declares the Lord, 
when I make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. It won't be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. So that covenant was made at Mount Sinai. Yeah, that was when this first this thing of a creating society based upon law was established at Mount Sinai. So that was the first covenant. <clears throat> the Ten Commandments and all the, and the other commandments. They broke that covenant with me, even though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Now, it's a very interesting. One of the main metaphors in the Bible, the relationship between God and the people of Israel, it's not parent and child. It's actually husband and wife. Interesting. How is that different? Very different, isn't it? Parent and child, parent and child, parent, children always dependent upon their parents. But do you want your children always to be dependent upon you? No, you want them to grow up and become adults and to have their own, get married, have their own family. <clears throat> and then you can talk to your children, not as children, but as equals. Almost like, you know, as adults. You can have adult conversations. You, know, you don't want to have a childish conversation with your children forever. You want them to grow up so you can have an adult conversation, you know, about all sorts of different things. Yeah, almost like as equals. Always parent-child, but it's more like equals. A husband-wife relationship. And then with children then, sometimes as a parent you have to... Can you express all your emotions and feelings? No. You know, because um, you have to be very careful, otherwise it can really hurt and damage children. Whereas a husband-wife is much more an emotional kind of relationship. So when you look in the Bible, the relationship, God is incredibly emotional. Full of emotion in the, in, the, in, the, in the prophets, particularly. Because that's the relationship he has with the people of Israel. They're like his wife. <clears throat> it's like a working together, like a partnership to try to create the kingdom of heaven. God is working with the people of Israel together as, you know, as a partnership to create, to move into Canaan and to establish you know, a good society. It's that kind of intense kind of relationship. But God holds nothing back. God is incredibly emotional in the Bible. Sometimes really angry, sometimes really happy. All kinds, a whole range of emotions are revealed. God's heart is revealed very profoundly in the Old Testament. Yeah, much more than in the New Testament, to be honest. Yeah. <clears throat> no, <clears throat> this is the covenant I shall make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my instructions within them and engrave them on their hearts. <clears throat> so that's that word free. Yeah, comes up there, engraved. So how does that work? <clears throat> so I'll be their God and they'll be my people. They no longer need to teach each other to say, know the Lord because they'll all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. So here, the law is moving from something which is outside to something which is inside. That's the conscience. Yeah. So people don't need, so you're walking down the street, you don't need to think, oh, I better not murder that person. Oh, I better not kill that person. Yeah, I better not break into that person's house even though they left the door open and steal things. Because people wouldn't even think like that. Because the law then is engraved upon their heart. Yeah? That's, what we, that's conscience. Yeah? And so people wouldn't, wouldn't even con con think about doing these kind of evil deeds which are you know, listed there in the Bible. There's a whole list goes on and on about all the things that people shouldn't do. Yeah? But once people are living according to that, you don't even think about doing those bad things because it's living according to conscience. That's like the new covenant where people, you know, what we call living in the direct dominion of God. 
So all these concepts, direct dominion of God, the whole vision is already there in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. <clears throat> it's just, for various reasons, Christians call it the Old Testament as a way of putting it down. But actually everything you need to know is revealed there. Okay, so freedom, that creates, as it says, as Hayek said there, a precondition for peace. So peace then, uh, the Hebrew is shalom, as in uh, Arabic it's salam. <clears throat> and it's more than just the absence of conflict. Uh, first of all, there is no conflict. People are living at peace with each other. But also there's this sense of wholeness or completeness. People are living a life of integrity. People are at peace with themselves. There's no inner conflict between mind and body. No inner conflict, should I do this, should I do that? People are at peace with themselves and they radiate peace. And that's why it's very important. In the, uh, the idea of peace then is, is a contribution. This vision of peace is very much the vision of the Bible, the Old Testament. What's the vision of the Vikings? The, of the, um, you know, the gods, the, the Viking gods. What was their vision? Conquest, war, the glory of how you know the glory of war and the honor of fighting and all that. So those are the values very much of, of the Viking gods and of the Teutonic gods, and uh, you know very much also the Greek gods as well. A lot of fighting, and the most important person there is the warrior. Whereas in the Old Testament, the most important person is the person who brings peace. The vision is always about peace, not about conquest, not about war. Not about blood. It's not bloodthirsty. So in peace I lie down and sleep, for you alone keep me secure. So here's this sense. We are at peace because we're you know, living in that space with, with God. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, always that. Pursuing peace, not pursuing war, not pursuing conflict. You shall love truth and peace. So this is you know, incredibly... Uh, there. And then, of course, moving on to unity, freedom, you're at peace. And then when you're at peace, it's very easy to work with other people. If, that's, if, you're, in, if you're in internal conflict, it's very easy to work with somebody else because you're in conflict within yourself and that easily comes out in a relationship with other people and they annoy you for some reason. And you, but when you're living at peace with yourself, it's very easy to work together and to cooperate with other people. And when you can cooperate with other people, it's very easy to unite yeah, and to work together. And as it says again in the psalm, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Yeah? How good, how pleasant when people, God's people live together in unity. You know? And it's very sad, tragic, you know, with our own spiritual community, as you know, you know, all kinds of divisions within the true family. And unfortunately, these have also spread to our own spiritual community. And that is really sad. <clears throat> um, you know, and it's led to a lot of breakdown within families, sometimes within marriages and within friendships. It's like precious oil poured down on the head, running down on the beard. I don't know. Anyway, this is the metaphor in the Bible. I can't get my head around it, but it's still really interesting. It's like precious oil poured down on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. And Aaron, of course, is Moses' brother and the priest, the, the you know, chief priest. Down on the collar of his robe. Anyway, it's a metaphor. Don't know how it works. It cleans dust. <laughs> it's, it's cleansing. Is it? Yeah, hot, dusty cleansing. Okay, all right. The, the Indians use it to clean their hands. 
Oh, I see. Okay, I didn't know that. Not living in a hot, dusty country. <laughs> I know the Romans, they used to wash with oil, didn't they? And then they'd scrape it off. So I suppose, and of course, soap is made from oil, isn't it? Okay, all right. So, okay, thank you for that. Been trying to figure, well, anyway, okay, it's a bit like going having, yeah, having a nice shower, washing your hair with shampoo and your whole body, and you feel clean, refreshed, and renewed afterwards. A bit like that, isn't it? Oh, okay, thanks for that, David. <clears throat> As if the dew of, of Hermon, that's a, uh, one of the uh, mountains, in, I think it's in sort of roundabout Lebanon area, were falling on Mount Zion. Oh, yeah, have lots of rain up there, Mount Zion, which is where Jerusalem is. It's very hot and dry. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even the life evermore. And then Father said in one in speeches, unity is a measure of your love and the source of joy in marriage. And, you know, when you're actually at peace and at one with each other, you work together, you can feel incredible joy when you're doing things together. So together... The word together is my wife's favourite word, after, well, second favourite word after communication. And she keeps on mentioning these two words because I'm not very good at communicating and I'm not very good at doing things together. But anyway, if, when you do, yeah, as far as I said, unity is the measure of your love and the source of your joy in marriage. And you feel this incredible joy. And when people are united, you can see this watching football. You know, the balls always go in the right place. You pass and the person's always there and everything because there's inner unity and everything flows and there's incredible joy for me when you're able to do that within marriage, within a family, within a community. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> happiness, the last of these. So you have freedom, creates a space where people feel free. They're, what we talk about, rights are not being interfered with. They're free. Uh, and then, they're, then on that it's a precondition for peace. <clears throat> and peace is a precondition for being able to work together and to unite with other people. And when there's unity, then there's joy in that relationship, joy and happiness. When there's unity between our mind and body, we feel joy. When there's unity between our husband and wife, feel joy. Parents and children within a community or country feel joy. Yeah, <clears throat> And that's really important then, joy. And so serve the God with joy. All from the Psalms, incredible Psalms about worship. <clears throat> Serve God with joy, the psalmist says. So it's not a suggestion or an encouraging piece of advice, as if to say we must serve God anyway, so he may as well enjoy it. It's not even a blessing ensuring us that if we serve God, it'll be a joy. Sometimes it isn't. The proof of this is that there are plenty who believe they're serving God, and they may in fact be fulfilling his commandment diligently, but they're not joyful. So serve God with joy is a directive and an obligation. Yeah, that's interesting. And so this is challenging verse I came across here. All these curses, I'm telling you, in the Bible, there's loads of curses. Yeah, it's like, uh, when you read them, horrendous. But what's interesting is this. All these curses will befall you because you did not serve the Lord your God with happiness and with gladness of heart when you had an abundance of everything. Yeah, so it's not that God's upset with people, you know, oh, you didn't do as I was told, but actually you didn't serve with joy. And so we can, we can see this, you know, when someone does something incredibly reluctantly, you just don't want to ask them. You know what I mean? 
You, oh, you ask someone to do something, and they do it, oh, great reluctance. When so, you ask someone to do something, and they're really happy and they're joyful when they do it, you feel happy and joyful yourself. Otherwise, you feel like you've, you've Im- imposed something upon this person, and it's like you created a burden for them. When people joy, uh, you know, children are happy to, to lay the table, or children are happy to do this, and we're happy to do that. We're happy to serve God, and to serve others with joy. Then we are happy, and God is happy, yeah? And it's not like we're just doing it out of an obligation, we're doing joyfully. We're happy to serve, we're happy to help others, we're happy to do this, you know, doing things with a joyful heart. So for God, it's all about happiness and joy, that's what it is in the principle. You know, God created because of joy. So when there's no joy and people are just doing it, not with joy, not with happiness, then you know, it's, like, it's like people you know, missing, missing the main point. So it's not that God really wants to go around cursing people. You know, it's just God is saying, well, actually, this is what makes you really upset and really unhappy is when you go around doing things reluctantly and think, oh, I better just do it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then it, you know, it spoils the relationship, yeah? <clears throat> and that's what it says in the principle, except here it says it very philosophically as opposed to the Bible, which is full of poetry. A family of society is formed the four-position foundation in line with God's ideal is patterned after the image of a perfect individual. It thus becomes a substantial object partner to the individual who lives in oneness with God, and consequently, it also becomes a substantial object partner to God. The individual feels joy, and likewise God feels joy, when each perceives in his, this family or community the manifestation of his own internal nature and external form. When God's second blessings fulfill the family or community, also becomes a good object partner giving joy to God. So in many different ways we give joy to God. It's great listening to the things that David does and Peter does and Francois and so many, everybody here is doing something in their own way and bringing joy to God and bringing joy to others. And I think it's really important to celebrate all the things that we are doing that we can uh, you know, encourage each other. And I'm so happy that uh, you know, Francois did this for 17 years Wow, <laughs> that is something amazing. And she always did it with a grateful heart. Yeah? Always being grateful and always feeling being blessed. And that's also, we're always grateful for whatever befalls us, all the good things and the bad things, we're always grateful. And we always feel like everything that you know, happens to us is like a blessing for our benefit. Then we can also, we can be filled with joy in our lives. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. Uh, thank you all very much, and I look forward to seeing you next next time, I guess. I'm not quite sure where or when, but uh, yeah. So God bless you all, and um, David looking at his watch there. Thank you. <laughs>